Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you come to this place of worship today with a heavy heart. Really need to feel the love of Jesus this morning. I would be in that company with you today. Maybe as we get ready to pray together this morning, you just say, you know what, I I just really need to hear from the Lord today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand with mine? I want to pray for you and for me today. Father, you see our hands today. We need you. Lord, we need you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word. Lord, I I pray that you would allow us to hear from you today. We know your word is alive. We know it's alive, but would you make it alive to us? I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today, Lord, you'd speak to my heart. Teach us more about you. Teach us more about the God of love, the one who is love. To be able to love better, to be able to declare to a world in need where they can find true love, we have to know the author of love, and that is you, Heavenly Father. So I pray that you speak to our hearts today. We'll give you the glory for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've got your Bibles. You want to turn to Mark chapter 9 as we continue our study in Mark. While you're turning there, I won't forget it was about 26 and a half years ago when she pulled into that parking spot on 405 Royal Oak Drive next to the townhouse that I had bought and uh, I was looking through the blinds seeing this hot foxy mama get out of her Honda and I thought yes there is a God hallelujah hallelujah your love makes me sing no I didn't even know that song then But I thought, there is a God. This is going to be amazing. And uh, as she stepped out of that car, it was almost like the sun just began to shine around her, almost as if she was transfigured. And I stood there looking through the blinds, and I almost had to shut the blinds because the light was so bright. And uh, I was amazed, and here we are almost 25 years later, and it has been amazing. It hasn't... uh, been perfect because she married an imperfect person. Uh, There's been bumps in the road along the way, but I'm thankful. I I share that story with you because in a sense, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk about some people seeing somebody else and they were blinded by this great light uh, and they were amazed. They were also afraid. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, we continue the study of Mark. Let's look at it together. This is one of my favorite uh, stories in all of the Bible, Mark chapter 9. Depending on what translation that you have, I'll kind of stop along the way and make a few points. And then there's some things that I want to share with you and me this morning that we learned from the transfiguration. Uh, It's not a story that gets talked a lot about in the Bible, but it's some things I think that we can learn from it. And the first thing that I would tell you is, depending on your translation, the last chapter flows right into this chapter. Some translations start almost a new sentence. My translation, I think this is the New American Standard, which I like, 
It's the closest to the Greek, so they tell me. Um, but it starts with the word and, as if it flows right from the previous chapter where Jesus has been talking with his disciples and telling them whoever wants to lose his life or to gain his life has to lose it. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And then he rolls right into this next chapter and he says to them in verse 1, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up to a high mountain. Now let's stop. Bible scholars kind of debate which mountain it was. Some say it was Mount uh, Hermon and some say it was... Uh, uh, Mount Tabor, both are in that area. Within One is within 10 miles, one is within about 30 miles. We don't know for sure, but we know there are, were mountains in that vicinity where Jesus was near the Sea of Galilee. We know a lot of times that revelation happened on the mountain. Remember Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? By the way, I don't know if this has happened in your spiritual life, but oftentimes God reveals things to me on the mountain. Mountaintop experiences are awesome. But where the rubber meets the road for you and I to live out our faith is in the valley. That's where we find out if the mountaintop experience was legitimate or not. Or we just had the warm, touchy-feely goosebumps. And we're getting ready to find out for these disciples if they're going to have some touchy-feely goosebumps. Are they actually going to be able to live the life that Jesus is calling them to when they come down from the mountain. So they come down. They go up to the mountain. They're there. Peter, James, and John. And it says at the end of verse 2, he was transfigured before them. Now let's stop just a minute and think about that word, transfigured. This is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what that perfect, pleasing, good will of God is. It's the same word. But in Romans chapter 12, it's talking about moral transformation. It's talking about spiritual transformation. In this essence, it's talking about a physical transformation, much like a tadpole is to a frog or a caterpillar to a butterfly. Physical transformation. It's interesting, too, when you, when you think about this, in, in, really, in reality, the veil for the disciples was removed, and really, for the first time, they were able to see Jesus for who He really is. Some biblical scholars and commentators that you read say, you know, isn't it amazing that, you know, they were, they were able to see Jesus for who He really is? One guy that I was reading over the last few weeks said, that wasn't really the miracle. The miracle was that Jesus, most of the time, restrained himself and kept from showing his, his real glory. Because it probably would have killed those that were around. Matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon says it this way, For Christ to be glorious was almost a less matter than for him to restrain or hide his glory. It's forever his glory that he concealed his glory, and that though he was rich for our sakes... Became poor. So here we have this transfiguration in verse 4. Let's continue. It says, Elijah appeared along with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Amazing. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now think about this a minute. Oftentimes when we read the scripture, 
we read it in a way that probably wasn't exactly said in that time. When you study this, it's more than likely, we, we read it and the translators have translated this as if Peter made a statement. More than likely, he actually asked a question. Because the very next verse says that they, were, they didn't know how to answer because they were terrified. More than likely, Peter said, is it good for us to be here? In other words, maybe we should go down the mountain and leave you guys up here to talk. And as a matter of fact, is it so good for us to be here? Maybe, maybe we should build a tabernacle. Maybe we should build a shelter. Because they were frightened because they had never seen this before. I mean, think about it. Here's a Jewish man facing Moses and Elijah in this bright, brilliant light. And they had been taught all their life that no person could look upon the face of God. So they were, they were freaking out a little bit. They were scared. They were thinking, is this the full you know, essence of God? Are we, are we getting ready to, to die here? Is it good for us to be here, to be in your presence? So then they ask about building this shelter. I, I don't know why. I have no idea why. Maybe it was to be sheltered from the bright light. Maybe it was because they wanted to honor Jesus. And not only Jesus, but... Peter talks about building this shelter, this tabernacle for uh, Moses and for Elijah. Some of you might remember many, many months ago, we went through as a church the study of Nehemiah. And there was a time in the rebuilding of the city where they were building booths and tabernacles. And so this is something that Peter would know about. And so he asked about this shelter. Again, maybe it's to be sheltered from this bright light. You know, I was thinking about that word shelter. That's a part of our mission. Just to remind you real quick, a part of our mission here at Crossroads is to make disciples who serve, shelter, and support the transforming work of Christ. That shelter is an important word. Our world right now doesn't need so much sheltered from the glory and the awesomeness of God as they do maybe need some shelter from the bumps of life. In the turmoil of life, in the chaos of life, because it comes. And so Peter calls out, it's interesting what Peter says in verse 5. He says, Rabbi, is it, is it good for us to be here? That's the way I think he probably said it. I don't know for sure. But it's interesting his choice of word, Rabbi, because Mark's gospel is the only one that says that Peter said Rabbi. And we know that Mark was kind of the scribe. For Peter to, to write this down, most biblical scholars think that's exactly what Peter said. He said, Rabbi, because that's how he knew Jesus. That's his relationship with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He didn't quite understand all that Jesus was going to be and who he really was. Other Gospels, Matthew translates uh, Rabbi, Lord. And I think Luke translates it, Master, to kind of show greater reverence. So we have this happen. They don't know how to answer. They got terrified. And then verse 7, a cloud formed overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Remember something like that happening early on in the life of Jesus? You remember that? When he got baptized? And John the Baptist baptized him. And out of the sky, this voice said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descended, kind of a similar scenario. But here's what it says in verse 8. When this happened, it says, All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. 
Really, the word there is suddenly they looked around and nobody was there. We know from our study in Mark, hopefully you've realized this, that Mark was kind of an action gospel. It's kind of get to the point, tell what happens. But the, the essence here of what he's saying, when the guys realized what was going on, and then all of it once, suddenly everything was back to normal. The transfiguration was over, and Jesus was standing there as he was before the transfiguration. That word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's kind of a suddenly, abruptness, all at once. It means unexpected. It has an unexpected connotation tied to it. So they're talking to Jesus. They're walking up the mountain. All of a sudden, he's transfigured. This great light shines. He's sitting there talking, standing there talking to Moses. He's standing there talking to Elijah. I don't know how long he talked to him. That'd be interesting to know. I guess that'll be at list of, uh, question number 10,463 on my list for Jesus. How long did you guys talk? I don't know. But they were talking, and then all of a sudden, it was over. It was gone. They looked around. They saw no one with them anymore except Jesus. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he, Jesus, gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen. Until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead really meant. Let's just stop right there for sake of time this morning. Great story. What in the world does that have to do with you and me in 2021? I mean, really, what can we learn from the transfiguration? What is Jesus trying to tell us today? I think he's trying to tell us several things. Here's the first one. It tells us and it shows us Jesus is more than what he appeared to be. He is the Son of God. We live in a culture we talked about last week, and a lot of people have their conception of who Jesus is, but I will tell you that even in the church, we have our conception of who Jesus is. And we have, some of us are Sunday Jesus, and we have our put him in the box Jesus. And Jesus, you can do these things, but you can't do these things. The disciples were the same way. The culture then was the same way. They thought that there were certain things Jesus could do. There actually were things they wanted Jesus to do. What they really wanted Jesus to do and to be was a political figure who would set them free and give them everything that they wanted and rule over them. Tell you what, the last 14 months, churches, I've reflected on our reaction to how our world has gone, especially our country. I would just wave a caution flag to us and remind us that the person that we need at our disposal, the person that we need to call on, the person that we need to look to, who is much greater than anything we could ever think or imagine, his name is Jesus. It's not a political figure. I'm not saying we discount that. I'm not saying we don't get involved to some degree. As a matter of fact, in a few weeks on Sunday night, I think it's the first Sunday night in March, we're going to be talking about the place of a Christian in politics on Sunday night right here. I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll be here. One of our hot topics that we're going to be talking about starting next Sunday night for four weeks. But Jesus is more than what he appeared to be to the disciples. Can I, can I just share this with you this morning? Jesus is more than what he has probably appeared to be to you so far in your life. Our limited experience, even if we're older, we tend to think Jesus can only go so far and we kind of draw a line in our mind that, well, that's the most Jesus can do. 
And sometimes our experience actually hinders us because we begin to think that Jesus can only do certain things. Jesus can do anything he wants because he's Jesus. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need your authority. He doesn't need anything from you. He is God. He is God. He is more than what he appeared to be. He was the son of God. I thought about it this week and and for each of these things I'm going to share with you this morning, and, and I do this for every sermon. I, I think it was Adrian maybe a few weeks ago, he and I were talking before the service, and he said, anytime you have one finger pointing, look how many are pointing back. So when I'm sharing with you on Sunday morning, I may not physically be pointing, because I don't do that, but if I was, I understand the fingers that are pointing back. So as I'm preparing on Sundays and even sharing with you, I'm always thinking, Jack Eason, How does this apply to you, big boy? What can you learn? So I'm going to share with you some applications for me. And when I think about Jesus is more than what he appeared to be, here's what I wrote, the application for me. Jack, you need to raise your expectations. Your vision is not big enough. Jesus wants to do more than you can think or imagine, or expect. He has great plans. Crossroads. Jesus wants to do more than we can think or imagine for our congregation, for our body of believers, for our community, for our area, for our country, for our world. Have we put God in a box thinking that He is no longer the Savior of the world? I hope not. We look at all the craziness going on in the world and it's easy to get overwhelmed and we forget that Jesus is more than what he sometimes appears to be. He is the very son of God. Second thing that I see here that Jesus talks a lot about and that we can learn from the transfiguration is this. Suffering was not the end. Glorification is the end. He talks about Starts talking about suffering there a little bit at the end as they start to go down the mountain. Because the disciples, those that are with him, Peter, James, and John, have watched this transfiguration happen. And I I don't know, the Bible doesn't record for us the conversation. But then they start back down the mountain. And Jesus says, gives them orders, "Don't, don't tell anything that you guys have seen until... The Son of Man rises from the dead. And verse 10 says, they seized upon that statement. It's almost kind of where we get our conception of OCD. They locked in on that statement going, oh, oh my gosh. Rise from the dead. What does rise from the dead mean? Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise from the dead. They start thinking through resurrection. That this guy that they're with, they haven't figured it all out yet. But Jesus hints to them in that statement, I think. From what we read, that there's going to be suffering. Folks, suffering is a part of life. I don't like that. At all. But suffering is a part. If suffering was a part of Jesus' life, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, don't think for a minute that we're going to be able to opt out of suffering. Now, nobody told me when I was 14... And I walked the aisle at Anderson College, now Anderson University, at a youth camp. And I came down to the front, and I really believe at that point, gave my entire life to Jesus and said, take control. Nobody told me, 
Wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk through this. Jesus is going to save you from your sins. Amen. Woo. All right. You're going to get to spend eternity in heaven. Woo. Amen. Jesus is going to be the peace that passes all understanding. Great. Amen. They never said, and you are going to suffer. But that's what you sign up for when you become a child of God. Here's some news for you. Even if you don't sign up to be a child of God, you're going to suffer. So you have an option. You can either suffer and have the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the peace of the Holy Spirit and Jesus through the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you, or you can suffer without Him. (laughs) I'm going to vote to have the Holy Spirit and have Jesus with me because it's hard enough. So suffering is a part of the equation. Jesus is kind of, in a sense, foreshadowing. And letting the disciples know that suffering is a part of life. So again, I I, I wrote down in my notes here. Okay, Jack. Here's the application. Here's what I wrote. Have you forgotten your purpose? Have you forgotten your purpose? It's not to make you happy. Jesus did not come to make you happy, Jack. Jesus came to make you holy. There's a big difference. And through suffering is how we become holy. Through suffering is how those rough edges get knocked off and we start to look and become more like Jesus. I wish there was a different way. I wish there was a secret formula. There's not. That's how we grow. That's how we learn to trust God more. That's how we learn to let our faith be strengthened. So suffering's a part of the equation. Then I wrote, okay, what about for our church, Lord? And I just wrote down some thoughts. What is the end game? What is the end game? Because God's goal is for us to be equipped to do ministry. It's not just for us. I read a great quote quote by a a friend of mine, Seth Buckley, who will be here in a few weeks uh, talking to all of us as adults, parents. I encourage you to be here. Heath is kind of lining this up. It's the last Sunday night of our Hot Topics to talk about what we need to be doing for our students in this crazy culture. And one of the quotes I saw him post this week is, to, to, to have a great team, it's not enough for each of us individually to be doing our best. To have a great team, it's all of us doing our best to make sure the team is winning. We can't operate in our silos thinking, I'm doing the best that I can, and ignore our neighbor, because our neighbor's important. What does that have to do with this? It has a lot to do with this because some of us are suffering. Some of us are not suffering. We have to know what's going on in the body of Christ. We have to know what's going on with one another. Because ultimately, God's glory is the end game. That's the goal. We have to keep that in mind. The goal is not to make me happy, the goal is not to make me comfortable. We talked a few weeks ago about traditions and personal preference. I can tell you, I don't get my personal preference a lot. And that's okay. Sometimes I do. If I had my personal preference for worship, it'd be about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Matter of fact, I remember serving on church staff at a church and they said, Easter Sunday's coming. Are we going to have a sunrise service? I said, sounds like a fantastic idea. Have the video guy go out there at 6 o'clock and video that and we'll show it at 2 o'clock and I'll be there. 
But we've got to suffer. We have to learn to suffer so that we grow in our faith. And suffering was not the end for Jesus. You talk about somebody that suffered, and we'll be talking about this as we get closer and closer in the book of Mark. When we see what God in the flesh went through, Jesus Christ went through for you and I. Hard for me to talk about suffering when I start looking at what Jesus went through being crucified. My suffering is nothing compared to his suffering. But glorification is the end game because he will be glorified. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on the earth, under the earth. Everybody will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's coming. I know you might look at the world and wonder, would that person ever bow the knee? One day, every person will bow the knee. I'm looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, God has some things for us to do and perhaps some things for us to learn. And here's the third one that I see in this passage. The transfiguration is a preview of the full establishment of the kingdom of God. It's a preview. I think a few months ago, I was online looking at things and I... I saw this preview for a movie. And some of you older folks will remember this movie starring this guy named Tom Cruise who was flying planes off an aircraft carrier called Top Gun. And there was a preview for a new Top Gun movie coming out that I think is supposed to come out this year. I don't know if they got interrupted because of COVID or not. But I'm watching this preview and it's about five minutes long Watching all the stuff, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited. I'm like, he's back. Maverick is back, baby. This is going to be awesome. And he's flying around and doing you know, all these loop-de-loops in the air. And I'm getting excited about this movie. I know, I'm weird. If you just figured that out, you haven't known me very long. I'm weird. I'm getting excited about this preview. You know what happened? I think Jesus is letting the disciples, Peter, James, and John, have a preview of what's to come by taking them up on this mountain. He's giving them a glimpse of what is to come with the establishment of his kingdom. Here's what I wrote down for me as I was reading this this week. Jack, you have more than a glimpse. You have the full story of the crucifixion. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have more than a glimpse. You have the full story. Not just a five-minute preview. You've got the entire movie, beginning, middle, and end. You already know how this is going to turn out. Jack, what's your problem? Why are you fearful? Why are you scared? Why are you afraid to witness? Why are you worried what your church family is going to think? You have the full story. These guys only saw a glimpse, a preview of the glory of God. We know the kingdom of God is going to be established. So I wrote this down for me. Again, are you living like it? Are you living like you know that? See, Peter does something very interesting here. When he sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus and they're all glowing. And they're having this conversation back and forth. He's frightened. He's trembling probably. From what the scriptures tell us, he says, oh, maybe we need to build a a tabernacle here or a shelter. We'll build one for Jesus. We'll build one for you, Jesus. We'll build one for Elijah. We'll build one for Moses. Which, by the way, would have put Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all on the same level. 
And then suddenly, all at once, unexpected, as soon as it started, it was over. And only Jesus is standing there. Perhaps to remind Peter, there is only one worthy. And his name is Jesus. You know, Peter gets made fun of a lot. Peter's the guy who stuck his foot in his mouth. Peter's the guy who later will deny Jesus three times. This is the same Peter here who's in awe and fearful and talking about building tabernacles that in a few chapters will be the same Peter who will be denying Jesus. Oh, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I don't know that man. I don't You know the story. And he, he gets a hard rap, I think, Peter does. And here Peter is in a sense, again, I don't know what he's thinking, but he sees this transfiguration happen. He's wanting to build tabernacles. It's almost like, this is awesome. This glow is awesome. I may be in the very presence of God Almighty. Let's put up a residence and let's stay right here on the mountaintop. And I wrote down, as I was praying through this and asking the Lord to speak to me, Jack, are you doing the same thing? You like the mountaintop? You like it when everything's great and rosy? I do. I do. You do too, probably. Nobody likes it hard. Nobody likes a hard day or a hard week. But we can't set up residence like Peter was wanting to do. Folks, this is not our home. I know we have mortgages. And I know we're buying things like we're going to be here forever. This is not our home. This is a temporary spot we are passing through. And the older I get, the more I realize it. I wish I realized it when I was 16, 15, 10. <laughs> I was too busy playing with Legos when I was 10. Sometimes we want to do the same thing. We want to set up a, a residence. You know, one of the things that I would brag on just real quick about our church family is over the last 14 months how quickly we have adapted and shifted as the crazy things in the world have happened. And I'll just tell you, churches who haven't, they're gone. They're gone. I talked to a friend a couple weeks ago, pre-COVID 100 people, post-COVID they got five people, they're putting a church up for sale. Doesn't make me happy, makes me very sad. But here's what makes me proud in a good way, of us. And again, I wrote this down. In ministry and in church life, and even as a believer, we must grow and we must adapt. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same today, forever and always. And the message of Jesus will never change. But we've got to adapt. And Peter starts to build up Suggest of building these tabernacles. In a sense, he's doing two things to Jesus. He's demoting Jesus, making him equal with Moses and Elijah. Well, we'll just put, build you guys each your little, your little tabernacle and we'll just stay up here. And I wrote down in my notes, Jack, have you done that to Jesus? Have you demoted Jesus? I said, what do you mean by that? I, I'm just sharing with you my personal thoughts here. I hope that's okay. You guys know I'm transparent. Do I just call on Jesus as the counselor when I need something? When life is rough, oh, I need to go to Jesus. 
Do I put him in a box and grab the titles of Jesus that I want that benefit me when it's convenient, convenient for me? Or do I demote him to that level? Or do I recognize he is the son of God, God Almighty, ruler, counselor, El Shaddai, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting king? I can't pick and choose who I want Jesus to be. He is either Lord of all or not, of all, not at all. Have I demoted him? I wrote down, have I tried to detour Jesus from his plan in my life? Because sometimes we are guilty of trying to do that. For, G for, for Peter, he was detouring, trying to detour Jesus a little bit by just saying, let's just stay here. Friends, we can detour Jesus' work in our life by even with a great worship experience, which I love, I look so forward to Sunday mornings. You have no idea how much I look forward to us gathering together on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's unbelievable because it feeds my soul and I need it. And I need you not to hear me preach, but I need you and I need to be in community with you. I love it. But sometimes if I bask in that and that's all I want and I think this is all that I need is this one hour, hour and ten minutes. Okay, maybe hour and fifteen if I'm long-winded. Right. If I think that's all I need, then in a sense I can detour Jesus' work in my life by not realizing where the rubber meets the road is when I walk out the door. This is like the pep rally that's supposed to feed my soul and, and help me have fellowship with one another and to go out and live as Jesus wants me to live. So Jesus gave these guys a little preview of what the kingdom of God was going to look like and that it would be established. And here's the last thing as we wrap up that we see here in this passage, I believe. By this transfiguration, Jesus gives reassurance to the disciples and I think to us that the mission of Jesus will be accomplished. His kingdom will be established. And therefore, his mission will be accomplished. We know it's going to be hard. I mean, it was hard for Jesus. And he was God in the flesh. And the rest of this chapter, as you'll kind of get into in your small groups in a little while, after, after this experience on the mountain, Jesus winds up casting out a demon. Jesus winds up uh, talking about not hindering children. He talks about not uh, causing people to stumble. So his ministry continues. So this little brief pause up the mountain was to give reassurance to the disciples that, hey, the mission of Jesus will be accomplished. It will not be thwarted. Be encouraged. Church family, if you look around in the world and you see things that you're just thinking, wow, we have gone over the edge. We are doomed. I know it looks that way. Our country may be doomed, I have no idea. One of the things I wrote down is, would it be okay with you, Jack, if God chose to use a different country besides the United States of America to bring revival to the planet? Hard questions. Lord, the Lord asked me some hard questions. Would it be okay with you, Jack, if the Lord brought revival to Five Forks by using a church five minutes from here instead of this one? Or would you be jealous? Would you be upset? Or would you be happy that the mission of God is being accomplished? That's a harder one.
Because I want God to use our church. I think He is using our church. Because He's using you. Because the church is people. To the degree that He's using you is to the degree that He's using our church. Because this church is not a building. We know that. I wrote down this last question as we, as we wrap up. I just put, some have asked, does the church have a mission? And we do have a mission statement, by the way. But I wrote, maybe the better question is, does the mission of God have a church? I want Crossroads to be that church. I want us as Crossroads to be that church. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you, God, for the power of your word. Lord, when we look at the story and we see in the scripture, in our own imagination, we can't even come close probably to what the three disciples there experienced. The transfiguration of seeing Jesus just for a few moments in all his glory along with Moses and Elijah. There's a lot that we can learn individually and I believe even as a church family. So Lord, I, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would plant seeds in our heart of those things that apply to us. Lord, if there's things I said this morning that don't apply to an individual in here, I pray that that would just be forgotten. But I do believe, God, because of not me, but because of the power of your word. I pray that there are seeds from your word that are planted in our hearts. There is a world of chaos and confusion. And they so desperately need to see. Jesus, yes, yes. But people who are living for Jesus, yes. So I pray in this moment that you would speak to our hearts. And as you're there praying this morning, I don't know how God may have spoken to you, but... If you need to make a decision, obviously you can do that in your seat. Some of you would prefer that because of, because of the COVID stuff, and that's fine. But this morning, if you just need somebody to pray with you, or you want to come down front and kneel at one of these chairs, that's why they're here. I'll move out of the way, and you can just kneel and do business with God. Then this time of invitation is yours. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Joey's going to lead us in a song of invitation. And uh, you follow through and do what God leads you to do this morning.